All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Ah, there it is. We all need that extra little cup of coffee. Hey, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Um, I want to just just say thank you uh, to Michael and to the rest of the elders and uh, and um, and to each of you guys. Just we've gotten a lot of notes of encouragement and some care packages and and um, I just, I just tell you what, like not every church does that, and it's certainly not expected. It's not at all even anticipated. And so I just want to say thank you for for you guys' generosity and your encouragement uh, at this time uh, of the year. So uh, if you haven't met me, if I have not met you, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Salem. And, uh, and I would love the chance just to be able to greet you, get to know you uh, after the service. Uh, it's starting to get a little bit cold outside. Uh, I was disappointed with all the snow leaving. Uh, you, many of you guys know that uh, my, my wife and I uh, recently moved from Charlotte, really not that long ago. And, and I'll just tell you this, is that the amount of snow you had yesterday uh, is, is more than we ever had in Charlotte. Kids would have been sledding on that kind of snow. So... Um, so I'm a little disappointed that it's already that it's already gone, but uh, uh, excited to, to continue to share in this 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 long winter journey with you guys. So um, I want to invite you guys in. If you guys are in one of our venues, if you guys are upstairs in the loft, or if you're down in room 16, or if you're here in the sanctuary, or if you're joining with us online, just want to say thank you. I'm glad to be with you guys uh, this morning. So uh, this box, as I've just recently mentioned, we you know moved not too long ago. So this box is 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 a, a very prevalent thing in our house, and, uh, and as, if we, as we as a family have been unpacking our house, right, we come across all these, these, these crazy things, right, that you kind of forget that you have. So like the other day, I was unpacking, and I found my camping chair, and I was like, oh, that's, that's cool. I, I forgot that I had that, right? Uh, and, uh, and then I get to, you know, my, my winter jacket, and I was like, oh, man, I never need this before. I'll need that now, right? Right. Uh, and then you get to some of these things that are a little bit more, more family-oriented. You know, this is one of my, my daughter's toys and, you know, how quickly uh, I thought it was cute and then how quickly I just wanted to rip the batteries out of it. That's just one of those things. You know, um, Ryan Sandberg, autographed baseball. You, yeah, right? Woo! Yeah. Awesome, love it. Uh, little Nebraska, you know, kind of like beanie baggy thing. And I could just keep going, right? Uh, uh, like a little uh, peekaboo elephant that is Eden's, which is also, that's actually more cute than annoying. Um, I did this because this is hockey world up here, right? This is a gift from somebody uh, that I discipled a long time ago. So that goes down in kind of my basement. And there's things with sentimental value. Um, this is a, a history of church book, uh, history of the church book that I bought that's just really old and, uh, and just really fun. And this is my, my grandpa's, um, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Bo- Boatswain. Boats, is that right, Boatswain? It's a handbook for basically uh, what he had to learn to be a, a Navy boatsman for World War II. So have that downstairs. Uh, uh, see what else we got? We got a football, right? So there's like, I have a past in that. Uh, this, I'm not sure I'll need that here. Um, soccer ball, it's not mine. That's my wife's. Uh, what else? Well, we got some fly fishing stuff, which is super great. Uh, and then you get into some of these weird things, like the random stuff. You're like, what in the world? Like, at what point did we get that? I'm, I'm not sure why. Why is it there? And then there's like these, these weird old electronic things. And you're like, man, what's that for? I uh, hear some old headphones uh, and, uh, and like a, a water bottle from when we were in, in Colorado, right? 
So, so here's the deal, though. You start unpacking all this stuff, and here it is, and, and, uh, and these things represent a lot of different things. They represent good stories. They represent, uh, some of them are even connected to painful or sad stories. Like, you remember, like, where that was or what happened, you know, when you got that or, or whatever it is. Um, and some of them are just a mixture of both. But we're all guilty of this, I think, is that when you start to unpack, all of a sudden you, you hear the doorbell, or you hear that somebody's going to come visit, and what do you do? You panic clean. Has anybody ever done this? You panic clean, and you're like, man, i got to get rid of all of this stuff. Like, i I got to figure out what to do with it. And depending on the nature of your relationship with whoever it is that's coming, you might feel the need to pack it all away and to get it into a closet or to stuff it away or to do something like that. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe they're like, they're kind of a friend and you feel like, ah, they'll, they'll kind of get it if, if they, they know our life is a little bit of a mess. But so I'll only pack away half of it. And the other half is just there. And, and then maybe you're like, oh man, they have a toddler, they get it. We don't even have to warn them that there's beads on the floor. Like if they slip on the beads, that's, that's their fault, you know? <laughs> like they get it. Like this is just life. Like life is messy. And yet, so I think we do this in life, right, when we're unpacking boxes. And yet, we do the same thing sometimes when people say, hey, Seth, how are you doing? And I can have this spiritual panic clean. Because I look at this mess that's in front of me, and I go, gosh, I don't need that. Uh, that shouldn't be out. Uh, this yeah, that's got to go, that's got to go, uh, this has got to go, right? This has got to go, um, like jacket, that can probably stay. Rubber chicken, definitely has got to go. Soccer ball, that can, just keeps coming back, you know, go away, you know. Uh, and then we just start to, we start to toss all this stuff in here, and we pan it clean to represent, like, the, 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 like we don't want to show, like, the world, the mess that's really inside of us. And again, I think it depends, I didn't want to throw this, by the way, that'd be bad, um, or, or any of these, or this, because I might break the worship equipment. So I'm going to stick it back. But the same thing is, was true with packing is also true with, with us in our normal lives. Is that depending on the nature of the relationship, we have to decide what level of mess are we comfortable with other people seeing. And with some people, it's like we don't want them to see anything. And with others, we think, ah, oh, like they can see a little bit, but not a lot. And then with others, it's like, man, you get the whole thing, right? This is, this is, this is my life, right? This is just the mess that is going on. But here's the deal. I think that it's, it's, it's a true thing that over time, it becomes easier just to stuff stuff back there. It becomes really easy for us just to, to set that stuff aside. And here's what I want you to, I just want to start with this this morning. Everybody, every single person in this room has a front stage and a backstage. Every single person in this room has a front stage. And the front stage is the public arena, right? It's usually clean. It's fairly tidy, right? In fact, the front stage is really all about doing. This is, this is the perception that I give the world. In fact, we oftentimes gravitate to the front stage in this life because the front stage is where we receive applause, Good job, Seth. You did great. Good job. You're doing good. All of those types of things. And yet, the backstage, on the other hand, back here, 
This is a place that is dark and it's private. It's usually a messy place. And yet every single one of us has a backstage, a front and a backstage. But it's easy to talk about the front stage. And it feels risky to talk about the backstage because of all of those things. We're afraid of what the world or what people might think. And yet this is what's so true about Jesus is that Jesus says what's back here is what informs what happens up here. The backstage informs the front stage. We've been in this series called On the Mount, right? And as if we, um, we've been sitting on this mountain really with the disciples, as if we're listening to Jesus himself. And I know I keep saying that every week, but I want to keep emphasizing it's as if we were there or are there with him. And, and Jesus, for the last however many weeks, has been focusing in on these six different attitudes. And, and the pattern has been that he says, you have heard it said, but, when I, but I say to you, right? So there's this, this, this challenge of thinking, this challenge of theology, that this is what Jesus says my interpretation of the law really is. This is the way it's designed. This is the way it's in, intended to be lived out. And this morning, we actually shift in this series to move away from these attitudes, and Jesus is going to, for three different sections, so for three weeks, we're going to look at these different behaviors, and Jesus is going to challenge these behaviors. Really, ultimately, he's going to shift from back there to up here and help us see what's going on right here and help us connect to what's going on back behind the curtain, and in both cases, ultimately, Jesus' words are this. Seth, I want you to check your heart. Seth, would you check your heart? So this morning we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, okay? And here's where it starts. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people uh, in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so that's the first one, right? Let's check out this next slide because a, a better translation, or not a better translation, a more literal translation of this verse would be like this, beware of your righteousness to not do it in front of others in order to be seen by them. Now, the first word, beware, is a command, right? It's, this is where Jesus says, if there's anything imperative about this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to beware. Uh, it's really this idea of pay close attention to or examine, but what we're what we're called to examine is our righteousness. So it's as if Jesus says, take your righteousness, which really refers to, to any act or any good deed. I want you to take those things and then I want you to set it in front of you and I want you to examine it. Examine your good works. Examine your righteousness. Okay? That's really what he's saying, right? Pull it from the side and put it right in front of you and examine it. But then that next phrase right, is he says to not do it, right, that's, that's under the verb, right, to do it, don't do it in front of others, but then the last portion is this, this last verse where he says, so that, or in order to be 
seen by them, right? This is the danger or the clause that brings us out. There's the danger in this is that, that we would do things to be perceived by others. And so what we do on the front stage is the active portion, this doing portion, but then it changes to this passive receiving because what I do up here is what I want other people then to see in me. And then that, therefore I receive something from other people in this way. And so it's as if Jesus is saying in this moment, right, like doing good things is really, really good, but I want you to be careful of doing good if your motive is to be seen by other people. I want to check out this next slide, because here's the deal. I think that this is true of us. Um, one more, sorry. Yep. We, when we do things in front of other people, to be seen by them, ultimately, who is the receiver? Who is the one who benefits from this? It's me. Right? It's, it's a form of selfishness. So it's my way of saying, like, I'm going to do good, and I'm going to do good, I'm going to do good, but really, it's about me. And so often, what Jesus is saying is that, guys, this is part of our human heart. This is part of the way that we function in our depravity, in our sin, is that, that we can do good, but ultimately, we just want it to look good on us. And sometimes that's the way that, that we operate, right? And that's actually going to be kind of this theme. So Matthew 6.1 really kind of acts as an umbrella for the next three weeks because Jesus gives three examples. Check out this next slide. The first one is this idea of charity or giving, and that's what we're going to look at the rest of this morning. But then next week we'll look at prayer, and then the week after that we will look at fasting. Now again, these are things from Jesus' life and, and his time, and so we might be able to supplement them with some other things. But ultimately, this Matthew 6-1 umbrella is Jesus saying, hey, be careful to do good if it's for yourself. Be careful to do good if it's for yourself. So Jesus goes on in this next, uh, this next verse, in, in verse chapter 2. So we're going to move into this charity or this giving portion. He says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised uh, by others. We're going to look at that first phrase, Thus, when you give to the needy. You remember the word beware uh, or, or pay attention to is a command there's, there's nothing here, right, in this verse 2. There is no command to give to the needy. He doesn't say, go give to the needy. He says, when you give. And so it's as if there's this assumption from Jesus to say, guys, if you guys are following me, if you are living life the way that I do, you will naturally move into this, this lifestyle where you give to others generously, and so then we ask this question, okay, well then who are the needy? Who are these, these needy people? Well, the first and most obvious portion is, is the, those who have less money. I, I did some research this week, and, and, and every time I read these numbers, it just baffles me. Um, did you know that 10% of the world lives on less than $2 a day? I couldn't even find $2 all I had was a five. In fact, it's $1.90, roughly. 10% of the world lives on $1.90 a day. Um, and you go, okay, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's bad. But how about this? Two-thirds of the entire world's population 
two-thirds of the world's population lives on less than $10 a day. All of a sudden you go, oh, that's a, that's a portion. You see, when I, when I look at this $10, like I go to the grocery store, I buy some, a bag of chips, some ruffles, some Dean's Dip, and a Mountain Dew, and I've already hit 10 bucks. Right? That's where I'm at. I'm a, I'm a coffee snob, right? So I, I'm not going to buy the, the $2 can of coffee. I want, like, special, nice coffee. In fact, when we lived uh, in Charlotte, there was this uh, coffee place called Counterculture Coffee. Uh, and not on sale, one bag of, like, unground beans, like whole beans, is $12.99. Like, I'm already over my limit. If I get one bag of coffee... And all of a sudden, I begin to realize internally that there is a gap that is present. And we know, right, with where there are poor, there are also rich. I, I just found this fascinating, um, as I found this this week, is that since 1970, um, upper-class income has gone up by 64%. I go, wow, that's a lot. But for middle class, it's gone up 49%. That's double. That's a lot. Like, middle-class income has gone up a lot. And so what we see is that there is this widening gap. In fact, the gap between the richest and the poorest from 1989 to 2016 has more than doubled. It just continues to go, and it continues to grow. And so what I realize in my own life is that I am far more comfortable than I realize. And that's just true. Right? Because I can go to the grocery store and get some Dean's Dip and a Mountain Dew and some Ruffles and I can just spend $10 really quickly and not realize that I've just taken up two-thirds of the world's total income for a day. That's pretty crazy. That's pretty, it's pretty, that's pretty convicting and challenging even in my own life. And so I realize this. I'm not saying the money is bad at all, but Jesus, we just remind ourselves that Jesus says, when you give, where there's this soft, there is this humble expectation I don't know about you guys, but whenever it gets to this point of the year, I start automatically thinking about Black Friday. I just do. Like, I just get in that zone. I'm like, man, a new espresso machine? Well, I don't even have an espresso machine. I love an espresso machine. How much is that going to happen on Black Friday? Or how much is that, that new headphone that, that I would love to have? Or, or whatever it is, like I get into the zone and I go, man, maybe I need to start rethinking and reevaluating how I spend money. You know, Kenton this morning, uh, and this is not a guilt thing at all, but, you know, Kenton shared this morning even, too, like where we're at as a church, and part of me goes, I would love to, to end this year either even or in the black, because I'd love to start thinking bigger with our budget about how we can actually connect with and reach the surrounding community of this building right here. Like, like what, what, would it, what would it look like if, if once a month one of our staff or an elder or one of our congregation took donuts to, to one of the organizations right over here with a note that just said, hey, we just want you to know we love you, we're praying for you, and we're here for you. What if we had community gardens that were right here that we were inviting people in to share and to use and say, hey, would you teach us how to make meals? Let's do life together, right? That's incredible. Or, or what if we had a playground that the people from, from these places could all use and come over and we share? Like, that gets me excited. And then I think about this, though. Poverty or money, right? Poverty or the needy in this context is not just about money. It really isn't. In fact, it's much more holistic than that. It's, it's any deficit of wholeness, right? Where we're lacking 
anything. And so really Jesus is saying whenever you help somebody, anybody for any, any reason, whether it's social or economic uh, or if it's mental or if it's physical or if it's emotional or if it's spiritual, right, anything, Jesus is saying this is, there's this soft, humble expectation when you give. When you do these things, and it's this invitation, I think, that because our world is filled with these opportunities every day. And But here's the warning in this next part of the verse is that Jesus says, though, when you do these things, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now, you guys are probably better than me, but I'm sure many of us in this room have been called a hypocrite at some point, I know, or at least felt it. I know that that's true of myself. Now, in, in Greek, um, that word hypocrite actually refers, I mean, it sounds negative, but it actually refers to like a Greek theater or Greek play. Check out these pictures. Uh, this is a picture from afar. This is a city uh, from when Nikki and I visited um, Israel, uh, and it's a heavily Greek-influenced city, and so you can see the theater uh, in the background, right? How it looks fairly big, but, but it's maybe not quite that big, but then if you go to this next picture, and you see, like, that would have been the stage where those people are walking, right? And how many people would have filled all of those seats? In fact, they could have sat up along the grass, and they would have sat in this place. And so when Jesus is talking about hypocrites, he's actually talking about the people who would come onto the stage and who would act out a play. That was what a, uh, a hypocrite was, was an actor, right? And if you remember the words uh, earlier on where Jesus says, um, you know, beware that you would be seen or in order to be seen by other people. The words there actually are all connected to this kind of word grouping that has to do with the theater. So it's like what you would bring to the stage. And again, this front stage mentality, what you bring to the stage. And it's also connected to the word goddess. Um, and it's connected to the word beauty. It's also connected to the word, uh, the verb to marvel at. And so you start to kind of pull these things together, and then what, what Jesus is talking about is that when we come to the front stage, is that sometimes in life, right, it, it, it becomes this presentation that people would see us as perfect, as beautiful, or as someone that people would marvel at. And we present ourselves in such a way in this stage, though, that Jesus says it doesn't represent the stage that's back here. What happens here is not being informed by what is happening back behind the stage. And so Jesus, knowing the human heart, says, and, and this for me, I understand this, right, is that when I want to keep people's attention away from back here, what do I do? I sound a trumpet. And I call attention to the front stage so that people don't see what's happening back behind the stage. Side note, can you imagine if somebody, maybe it's a little tiny angel on your shoulder, I don't know, maybe you can hear it, maybe the whole world can hear it, but either way, can you imagine if somebody would sound a trumpet every single time you did something good? You're like, oh, let me help you. Oh, man, my motives are wrong again. Oh, man. And we just keep going and keep doing it and keep going, right? That would be super annoying, and yet it would be so convicting at the same time, right? It's an exaggeration, but, but if we were honest, we would probably say that when we do good, there is a soft expectation, maybe a hard expectation, that people see it. 
and praise us for it. There's something about that, and Jesus knows that inside of us. In fact, in these next verses, this next words, he says, right, these things are happening in the synagogue and in the streets that they may be praised by others. And so what Jesus acknowledges is that we're not talking about a theater. We're not talking about a stage. We're talking about the stage of life, what happens in the church and what happens in the streets, after um, I graduated from college, uh, I, um, I moved back to Lincoln, Nebraska, and was doing some construction, kind of in between before I went back to seminary, and, and I was working with this company, and um, one day we were working downtown Lincoln, uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, and uh, we were doing lunch break, and so we were parked up on this, this really tall, like, uh, parking garage on the top floor, and I was working with this, this guy who didn't know Jesus, and so I was starving because at that time I was still a little lazy, I didn't pack a lunch, and so I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I'll run to Wendy's. So I run to Wendy's, so I go down, and I go across the street, like, up a block or two, and I buy some Wendy's, right? But as I'm going, I pass this homeless guy on the street. And I thought, man, I just felt convicted. I felt this urge to buy him a meal. And so what I did, I said, I got Wendy's, and then I, and I brought it back, and I was still, I, that's, it was always a little uncomfortable for me, but I grabbed this Wendy's, and I brought down, and I got down on a knee, and I talked to him just for a quick second. I gave him a couple of burgers, and, and then I went back up. And as I sat uh, on, the, on the tailgate, I remember this so clearly, I sat on the tailgate of this guy's, of this trailer, and we were sat in silence for about 30 seconds as I start my hamburger. And inside, I'm just going, Seth, tell him what you did. Tell him what you did. Tell him what you did. And there was a piece of me that wanted to tell him because he didn't know Jesus. And so I wanted him to be able to see the good works like, I wanted to be salt and light to his world, right? And yet I knew internally that that was, that was wrong motivation because I really just wanted to share with him the good that I had done. And so I sat in this tension, right? And I probably had this contorted face. He probably saw it and he picked up on it and he leans over and goes, what'd you give the bum? And I went, excuse me? And then we had this conversation and we talked about it. I see, he had been leaning over the side while he was smoking his cigarette and saw the whole thing. And yet I felt that I had this need to bring it to his attention. This is what he needs to know. And it's not true, right? There is this piece of me that just wanted to be seen for something good that I'd done, and yet the Spirit was like, no, Seth, that is the wrong motivation, and it's in these moments that Jesus goes on. He says that when you do these things, when you do it for the applaud or the praise of others, Jesus says, truly I say to you, he says they, but I could just say me or you, you have received your reward. Can you imagine with me for a second um, that, uh, that somebody were to cut a check to you for the rest of the money that you will earn for the rest of your life in one lump sum? Assuming that it's, you know, um, more than $2 a day, is, and I think about that, that's convicting in my own heart, but when you look at that total sum, you might go, wow, that's, that's a lot of money. That's a, that's a lot of money. Like, I, I can't even fathom. Like, I'm not used to that. I can't fathom that. And yet, here's the thing, though, is that if somebody does that, there is no more. That's all, that's all that you get, right? Because it's, it's super 
temporary. And it might look big and be grand and great, but it is temporary. And that's the thing with the front stage, is that when we live for the applause of others, the thing is, is that the, the theater or the play, the act, has to end at some point. Right? And if it were to satiate the human heart, I would need to stand here and people would clap for the rest of eternity. You get some sweet triceps and biceps doing that. Right? That's what we would have to do. But the play, it has to end at some point, which means that the praise and the clapping eventually stops. And so when that stops, what happens? Well, I exit off of the stage and, and I walk down and, and, and then people shake your hand. Man, that was a great job. You're doing so good. You're doing great. So it's not clapping, but there's praise and there's energy in that. And so then you go, okay, so but eventually that has to stop and you go home. And so when you go home, what happens is that you relive the moment in your mind and in your heart and you relive it and you go, ah, oh, Man, that euphoric experience. Remember, that was just an hour ago. How great was that? But eventually, that memory begins to fade. And that applause ends, and there is no more. And so what do we do? We find ourselves drawn back to the stage. And we go back and we do more so we can be received by others. So we can regain that energy and that applause so that it keeps coming and keeps coming. But here's the thing about human, humans is that we're silly creatures. And eventually we will do something that is silly which will invite criticism and judgment and hardship on us. And so then we have to work even harder and harder and harder on the front stage to gain that back. And the reality is it's like I'm going back. I'm not riding the new bike. I'm actually riding the old bike. And, and it, it was so true is that I can ride it for a long distance and I can pedal hard and I can do it. I know how to stand up straight. I, I won't fall over. I can do all of that. But at the same time, it doesn't matter how far I go and how good I am at riding that bike. At the end of the day, I'm exhausted and I know that there's a better way. And Jesus is inviting us into that kind of of life. And so what Jesus says in his next verse, but when you give to the needy, right? Not just money, not just finances. When you do anything good for anybody that is in need at any point of any day, right? When you do good, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You know, I think that the, the one hand thing kind of symbolizes that, that when I do something with one hand, uh, it, it's almost like it can be done in secret. But if it takes two hands, right, if I got to lug it, look at what I'm bringing, and then we drop it, right, it invites attention. And Jesus says, that's not what I'm looking for. He says, I want you to give in secret. Would you do these things in secret? So it's really as if he's saying, check your heart, check your motive. And when you do good, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And the contrast for us is this reward between what we receive from men and what we receive from God. One is temporary and one is permanent and eternal. I think that the stuff that's temporary is the applause, the, the congratulations. Uh, the reward that you receive from, from Jesus and from God is ultimately just all you have to, you don't even need him to clap for you. All you, all you need is for him just to stand by you and to embrace you and to walk alongside of him for all of eternity. 
And so when I think about this, right, every single person has a front stage, things that happen up here, and every single person has things that happen in that backstage. And what happens back there is what informs up here. But we can't allow the fact that we have a backstage and a front stage to stop us from doing good things. But we do need to examine our hearts. Nikki and I started watching a show as we kind of wrap up here, um, and it's not a show that I condone. I feel like that's maybe something that we're saying a lot. Um, it's not something that I, that I necessarily condone, but it's a clever and unique perspective, a comedy uh, on a critique, really, in some sense, of our view of the afterlife. And, and in this show, one of the characters, I don't want to spoil it for you, but, but one of the characters um, says that, that she had raised $60 billion dollars. 60, I mean, this is all fake, okay, right? Just remember that. $60 billion for, for, for a world organization, right? For helping the needy. And she was so proud of it. Man, look at everything that I did. And then at the end, at some point, she realizes that it counted for nothing because everything that she was doing was to gain approval from her parents, to look better than her sister, and to gain uh, attraction from the opposite gender. And, it, and all of a sudden, she's, she goes from like 60, I raised 60 billion, and then she goes, oh my gosh, it, my motives were all wrong, all wrong from the beginning, right? And so with Jesus, we go back to that Matthew 6.1, Jesus says, hey Seth, I want you to take your good deeds, I want you to take your righteousness, and I want you to set it in front of you. I want you to examine it, I want you to check your heart. Put it in front of you. And these are the things, guys, we, we can grow in our motives. We can grow in this in our life, but it's something that we can never do perfectly like Jesus. Jesus could heal people in the public all day long and never once want the approval from men, but that's not who we are, right? That's not us. And so that's where we keep running back to the cross because the cross is all about the gospel. And the gospel is an incredible, deeply and strong motivator for us, right? It motivates us to do good. And so here's my big idea this morning. I just want to wrap up with this. It's pretty simple, but instead of do good for ourselves, what if we do good for God? I know that's not elaborate. It's not this crazy thing, but it's motivated by the gospel, right? Because the gospel is such a strong motivator. When I look at that cross, I look at who Jesus was and what he accomplished for me, how he sacrificed himself for me and the way that he did good for other people selflessly over and over. And I look at that and I know what he did for me and, and it compels me to do good, but not for me. It's for God. So do good for God. Let me end with these last questions. Um, first one's this. Are you motivated by the gospel to give generously? And I don't mean that necessarily in a money thing at all. I just mean like, is the gospel motivating you to live a life where you're doing good, where we're seeing people in need, and we go, I, I want to come alongside in secret as best as I can, with, with as best motive as I can, but to come alongside and to help people in whatever it is that they are lacking. The second question is, what am I doing and why? And is it in any way so that I can be seen by others? And the last one, just a simple question. I want you to ask, just think about this. Who has access in your life to the mess that's back here? 
Who are the people that you've invited in that you can be totally transparent with and authentic in and share in? Because that's a space where we need the gospel. Let's pray. Father, I want to lift up this morning. And as I, as I think through this text, there, there is in some sense just a very soberness inside of my heart. And maybe there's a soberness in this room. But Lord, I, I pray that we would be drawn to the gospel, that, that we would be reminded of how good that forgiveness and that grace is. And Lord, would you let that wash and wash and wash over us continuously, and that in that washing that we would continuously be drawn to be shaped into Christ-likeness, that, that we would find ourselves in those moments when we are tempted to live for the approval of men, that we would instead remove ourselves from that and that we would find ourselves seeking to please you and you alone. Lord, we love you. You deserve all of our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.